Get your Bibles and open it up to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 6. We're going to be reading out of that in just a moment. If you did not by chance bring your Bibles, we will post these verses on the screen overhead here in just a moment. And we're going to conclude our teaching series that we began at the beginning of the month that we entitled, We Win. Are you a winner? Come on now. There's not just personal victory, but there's corporate victory as well. In fact, I mentioned to you when we got started, this wasn't just about you being actualized or you being empowered personally to find whatever sense of triumph or conquering or victory you have going on in your own life, but I wanted us to get a little bit broader scope and think about how God works within the life of his people as a group, how he works through his church and how together uh, God has called us to do some things to press forward into victory uh, into these areas. So, uh, so the emphasis, hopefully we're communicating, is on we. But how many of you also know that if there's, there's a victory in the we, there's a victory in me? Isn't that true? I mean, there are some things that we're just going to have to understand that if I personally want victory, it's going to take some others getting victory as well. And the Israelites had to learn that. They either all went into the land or none of them went into the land. Even though there were two of them that believed that they could take the giants, they believed that they could possess the land, those two still were restricted from going in because the bad report from the ten I went through the ranks and all of them were shut down. And it has just caused me to be reminded that there is a mentality that needs to come to the church at large that will cause us all to prevail in a lot of personal ways. And so we've been trying to sow that into you these last few weeks. And we began message number one quickly. I talked to you about corporate optimism. The Bible teaches victory. So before we ever get on a battlefield, here's the key. You got to believe you're going to win. Come on, you can't go into a battle thinking you're a loser. You got you to have it in your psyche that God has called you to prevail over whatever it is you're facing. And so we talked about corporate optimism. The second message, we began to share with you how I felt like we'd lost this. You see, if you don't understand why you shift from your optimism into pessimism, if you don't understand how you lose your positive nature and, and slip into a negative outlook then chances are the minute you get positive, you're going to fall back into the negative. If you don't know and don't realize there's a pothole on the street you're walking on, you're going to keep falling in the pothole. And so we just need to be aware as to what causes us to fall back into negative patterns in order that we can identify them, avoid them, and keep the victory mentality that God would have for us all. And then last week, our third message we began to take theory and we put it into reality. We began to teach you how to take a crisis moment and turn it into a conquering mentality. You've got to understand how do I, how do I face this terrible situation and, and what can God do in this, this impossible looking situation in order to bring about something that causes me to triumph. Because the Bible says that he causes us to triumph in all things. All things. Now, now today, we're going to answer probably a lot of the questions you've been left with as we wrap all of this up. Because my message today I entitled, How the Victory Manifests. How this victory comes to pass in our life. 
And I kind of subtitled it, Embracing the Paradox of the Kingdom. Embracing the Paradox of the Kingdom. I want to read to you a passage out of the book of Judges in the life of Gideon. Most of you know probably the story of Gideon to some extent. I want to just look at Gideon because Gideon is a fascinating guy. And as I was just reading over all the battle passages in the Old Testament in particular, all the passages that that declared victory over the people of God and and all the ways that they won their victories, I, I started to look at Gideon and the battle he had to face. And he is just a really good example of how God uses paradox in our circumstance and in our situations in order to bring about ultimately his good plan and his victory. So I'm going to read just a couple of verses here, but I'm going to use Gideon's life. So just keep your finger in these chapters. And uh, I think there's something here that can really, really help you if you'll get ears to hear. Judges chapter 6. I want to begin reading with verse 11. We read this. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, not Oprah, Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, uh, the, the uh, Bezerite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now I'm going to come back to this in just a minute and explain to you why they were doing this. But just to give you the picture, Gideon uh, is going to be confronted by what this passage says is the angel of the Lord. It's interesting, they call that technically a theophany. Now a theophany is what many believe to be a pre-incarnate picture of Jesus. In other words, Jesus is showing up before he showed up with Joseph and Mary. The angel of the Lord. It's not just an angel of the Lord, but the scripture says the angel of the Lord. Now, we can debate whether that be true or not, but you need to understand that, that Gideon isn't just interacting with an angel, but he's interacting with the very presence of God. Verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And I love verse 13 because this is like, I can identify with this. Verse 13, Gideon said, oh, my Lord. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? I mean, that's really pretty humorous. Come on, you've prayed that too. You've said that this morning, listening to me. You say, well, yeah, 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 pastor, yeah. Yeah, if, I, if I'm so victorious, then why in the world do I have the life I have? If I'm so victorious, why am I facing what I'm facing? If God's so good, why, why, why is it that it seems like I hadn't seen it lately? That's exactly what Gideon's saying, Lord. If you're with us, then why has all this happened to us? I thought, I thought you liked us. Have you ever wondered if God liked you? I mean, we all know he loves us, but my question isn't, does he love me? I'd like you to like me on occasion. Because if you liked me, I think things would change. He says, and where are all his miracles? Which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he, Gideon, said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you. Listen to this. And you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. 
Isn't that a cool verse? How the victory manifests. Now, as are most of the stories concerning battle in the Old Testament, the story of Gideon and his battle with the Midianites is what I call a story of paradox. I put it on the screen overhead. You might want to write this one down because this is something you're going to have to face all the time as a believer. The paradox of the kingdom. A paradox is a statement or a concept that contains seemingly conflicting or contradictory ideas. Yet, it's true. That's, that's paradox. Let me give you an, an example. For those of you, especially those of you that, that like working with computers and you've had computers for some time now, do you remember... Do you remember the old Windows uh, program? I don't remember which one it was. Of course, they've changed it through the years. But I can remember one of the old Windows programs that in order to turn your computer off, you had to scroll down to a little box that said start. And you had to push the start box in order to stop the computer. That's a paradox. You're following me. I pushed the start button to stop my computer. That's, that's, that's a great example of what paradox is. And the key to understanding how God brings victory to his people is to understand the place of paradox. If you don't get this, you're going to be frustrated in your Christian walk because the Bible is full of paradoxes. I'll give you just some quickly. Nehemiah, he's a cupbearer, which means he was drinking uh, the, the, the king's drink before he got it to make sure it wasn't poisoned. So, you're, you know, you got to believe you're fairly low on the totem pole because, you know, you're replaceable because I suspect you might have lost a few along the way. But here he is, the cupbearer, and he becomes a wall builder. Who'd have thunk? Esther, this obscure Jewish woman who becomes the queen of a nation. Ruth, She's poor and she's in poverty and all of a sudden she's redeemed and married to Boaz. You know the story of Joseph. Joseph gets sold into slavery. False accusations, thrown into prison. And yet all of a sudden pulled out of prison and he goes to a palace. David is out watching sheep in his father's sheep field. And he, and he suddenly turned from a shepherd into a king. Paul. Paul is a church killer and he's transformed into a church starter. Now get this one. John, who is on the island of Patmos, he's banished. He, he's been tortured for his faith. He's lost his eyesight. And yet though he's blind in the natural, it is John who sees the end of the ages. That's what we call paradox. When Jesus showed up, the reason people scratched their head with him is because he said things like this. The first will be last and the last shall be humble yourself and you'll be. But if you exalt yourself, you'll be. He says, give and you'll. If you hoard, you will lose. He said, if you lose your life, you'll save it. If you save your life, you'll lose it. Paul said, if I die, I live. If I give up, I get in. If you serve, you'll be great. In fact, even when he comes to callings and he looks at people, God does not choose the mighty or the strong or the noble or the wise, but God chooses, it says, the weak and the foolish 
and the rejected and on and on and on it can go. It's paradox. It's so when people look at a situation, they're able to see the hand of God and not, and not the hand of man. I remember years ago, back in 1989, uh, we had been filled with the Spirit and that didn't work within the setting that uh, we were pastoring in. And so uh, uh, we had started going to a large uh, charismatic church in the upstate of South Carolina and we'd only been there a few months and, and Pastor Miles, who was my pastor for many, many years, was gracious to me and he uh, hired me. And I've told this story before in order to be the minister of education, to start a Bible college, to do a couple other things that he had vision for. And you didn't know me then. Some of you have known me through the years since we've been in Charleston. And so you've got a glimmer of this, but you really didn't know me in 89. Because you've got to understand, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not exactly, you know, like I said, a relational guru. And I can be stiff and, and, and I can be formal and uh, believe me, I was, I was stiff and formal and it was, it was difficult for me to hug back in those days. I just, I had my boundaries. I didn't want people hugging on me and, you know, or anything like that. I had one guy, I remember he was Michael, where's uh, Michael, my friend right there. Uh, he was, he was, he was this, he was this African-American guy, big like you. And, and he would see me at church and he just knew I didn't like hugging. And he'd come up to me and he'd grab me to where I couldn't get my arms out. He'd just grab me and he'd lift me. He'd lift my feet off the floor and he'd just hug me. And he'd say, I love you, Pastor Baird. I love you. And the whole time I'm just saying, I love you too. Uh, you know, it was killing me. And you, rem you remind me so much of me. Just, just a big guy, just loving guy though. He just, and, and God was using him to break some of that in me. But if you'd have seen me, I mean, it was, I was stiff. I was, it was, it was sad. I was spirit filled, but it was still sad. And I remember walking down the hall one day and there was a, there was a guy at that local church. And, uh, I know he'd probably been there for years, probably been faithful, probably wanting to be on staff, probably had a lot of aspiration. And as we're walking down, I'm saying hi to everybody. And I saw him, I said hi to him. And he says, Hey, can I talk to you for just a second? Can I just talk to you for just a second? I said, sure. He said, I just have one question. I said, I didn't know where this was going. Okay, this is what he said. He said, why you? Now, I'll interpret that. The interpretation of that why you is, is that from my perspective, I don't see anything you bring to the table here. From my perspective, I don't get why, why Pastor Miles would choose you and he wouldn't choose some others. I don't, I don't get how come you suddenly fell into favor and other people who it seems to me would be far better at what he was wanting to do didn't find favor. That was the interpretation of the why you. I knew exactly what he meant. I'm sitting in the hallway and thinking, you know, well, thank you for the affirmation. I mean, why me? I mean, I just... But, but the point being is this. There's some paradox in the kingdom. Because I could look at you and say, why you? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why did God open that door for you? Why did he do this thing for you? Why would he do this thing for us? Paradox. I myself have put, put people in leadership and I've put them on staff. And, and I've had people in this church come up to me and go, I don't get, I don't get why they're, I don't get why they're where they're at. And, and what they're saying is, is they're saying, I don't, I don't, see by my natural eyes 
what, what they bring to the table. I'm going to share something with you. Paradox. Paradox. And this is the good news. Because when the day comes for your turn, that God taps you for something, and when everybody looks at each other and says about you, why them? It's paradox. So, if you don't embrace it, you'll never see victory. If you don't understand how the kingdom works, you will miss the opportunities that God may bring in order to lead you into a prevailing, uh, victorious uh, position. Victory always will show up for the believer, but it will show up in a way that is most usually paradoxical. Now, let me just give you a little bit of our story here. Israel, as you can guess was the case, had done evil, the scripture says, in the sight of the Lord. So uh, through the book of Judges, we find them going through what they call cycles. There are times they're on target as a nation you know, they're on track with the Lord and then they, you know, they get successful. And what happens to most people who get successful is they forget God. The minute a little favor, a little relief, a little help comes their way, they instantly begin to forget God and they begin to do their own thing. And all of a sudden they find themselves away from God and usually in trouble. And so they go through these cycles and there were cycles that they were, they were in the valley doing evil. And then there were there were these, these mountaintop experiences where God would raise up judges that would call them back to righteousness. And so we're in one of those cycles where now Israel, who had done evil in the sight of the Lord, were in bondage again. They'd been in bondage for about seven years. And um, now they're crying out to God one more time. And, and like I said last week, I marvel at when people are faced with hard times, that's when they cry out to God. Can I just say this to everyone in the room? Listen to me. Don't do that. Get right with God now. So you aren't at the bottom of some barrel, at the end of some rope. Everything in your life's falling apart. I mean, God will, God will reach out to you at those places. Don't misunderstand me. Yes, he will reach you no matter how far down you slid. He will reach down there and he will grab you. But please, please let's just try it different now. Why not just today you say to yourself, you know what? I'm serving God. It's a good season. I'm glad for it and I'm going to serve God. But Israel didn't always get that. Just reminds you of some people's life. Up and down, up and down. And so the Midianites are this group that has plundered Israel. And what would happen is, is that they would come into their fields and they would go after their livestock at just the right moment. They'd always let Israel get their fields up and going. They'd let their livestock get good and fat. And at the moment that they were ripe for the picking, the Midianites would come in and, and they, would, they would steal all this stuff and they would leave Israel impoverished. And, and Israel had finally had its fill. They couldn't stop it. They begin to cry out to God. And uh, the only question now is they begin to cry out to God and God wants and desires to deliver them. The only question that remains is what's the strategy going to be? How's God going to do this? God wants to bring victory into the life of his people, but what's, God, what's God's plan? Paradox. Paradox is his plan. So he goes and he finds a guy by the name of Gideon. Gideon's an interesting guy. Now, the Lord shows up as the angel of the Lord, and the first thing that the Lord says is these words to Gideon. He says, O oh, mighty man of valor. <laughs> 
Oh, mighty man of valor. Now, now Gideon, it's interesting to me, uh, Gideon says these words. Now, it wasn't a great confession, but at least he was in reality. Gideon begins to say, what do you mean, mighty man of valor? The first thing he says is, I am the least in my house, and my house is the weakest in the clan. You're calling me a mighty man of valor, and I'm just telling you what you got here. Now, it's like I got good news and I got bad news. The good news is this. God doesn't always see who you are. Sometimes he sees what you can be. Isn't that good news? I'm so glad that God doesn't always see me as I am, but he can see something beyond the moment as to what I could be. He sees possibility. And that's what he's calling. He's not calling to Gideon's weakness. He's calling to Gideon's possibility. He says, oh, mighty man of valor. And here's Gideon going, I don't know who you're, I mean, someone behind me. I don't know who you're talking to, Lord. Does God know what he's doing here? If you're calling me, I'm not sure you know what you're doing, Lord. And let's just be honest for just a moment. That's not how you and I probably would have approached all of this. No, no. If we were going to look for a leader that would lead Israel out of this problem with the Midianites, we would have found the sharpest, the most skilled leader in the nation. We would have someone with experience. We would have someone with a resume. We would have called their references. Uh, We would have looked and seen if they had any experience that would somehow fit with this Midianite problem they were facing. We would somehow, somehow in our natural minds, somehow begin to forge out this picture in our brain of the person we would want in order to face this insurmountable problem that we are facing as a nation. And if I can just stop there for just a second, what has happened in our 21st century Christianity and what one of our symptoms is that we have lost the divine edge and power in the midst of our churches is that we no longer consider the paradoxes of the kingdom. See, whether it's a nation or whether it's his church, we've lost something that we desperately need to recover. Something is amiss when all we can think about is who's the smartest, who's the richest, who works the best in the world, who's done it in the world. Listen, we've got people with Harvard degrees and Yale degrees and they're running our nation into a ditch. The smartest supposedly and the brightest are in charge and I'm frightened. Don't give us any more smart people. I've had people say, well, what do you want? You just, you want some, you want some Christian to run the country? Listen, we couldn't do any worse. But listen, just as we preach about a nation, we got to turn the finger at ourselves. Something's amiss if we think even in the life of our church that somehow we can just baptize the ways of the world because, well, I guess we're going to help God out. So what do we do? We begin, to, we begin to forge structures and systems like Fortune 500 companies. Because, because golly, if it works for Walmart and it works for that company and IBM and if it works for Toys R Us, then it, it's got to work for the church. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Because that's not what we're about. We provide conferences. And we teach leadership techniques that are simply baptized marketing principles that come from the world. 
And so we market, we strategize, we copy everything in the world, we franchise it, and we say we're doing God's purposes, but we don't see any power. The culture's still in disarray. We don't see any sense of spiritual heightenedness or power. I, I honestly believe the reason we don't see any miracles anymore is we're so busy trying to relate to the world that we've become the world and therefore we've got no power. You see, God wants to bring His people to victory, but it's coming by a way that's paradoxical. I just started chewing on this. I, I, haven't, I haven't gotten there. And you understand, and I've said this a thousand times. I mean, we've got all sorts of bells and whistles and lights, and I'm happy for it all. For me, I don't need it, though. And I'm not under any illusion that somehow or another, if we flash lights enough, that somehow it's going to attract people so maybe they'll trip into the kingdom. Now, we'll do it. It's fine. I understand. It's trendy. It's relevant. It's cultural. I got it. I got it. I like it. I like it too. But you understand what will change a city is maybe when we get on our knees and we pray. See, now, isn't that paradoxical? It's paradoxical. When we pray, when we fast, when we preach, I'm not sharing with you. I want to preach to you. I want to teach you. I'm done sharing. I'm done suggesting. It's time we declared. Yes, sir. So, so if these things are going to happen, and if it be true that God uses paradox, then we're left with one simple question, and it's this. How do I prepare myself for the paradoxical? You need to get a hold of this because whatever God does in your life by way of victory, he's going to do it by a way that you know not. I mean, I mean it, you, you think you've got it figured out. You don't have anything figured out. He will, do, he will do this in a way that you never even considered. I'm telling you, take it from a guy who has a lot of paradox moving in his life. God will do it in a way that you think not. And, and I'll just tell you something else, that he'll do things in this church that's paradoxical. And, and I'm just, I'll give you this hint too. He won't check in with you and he won't check in with me all the time. He just does it. So how do you prepare yourself for that? Because let's be honest, most of us like things. You see... I'm an orderly kind of guy. I mean, I look at life like an outline. I mean, I just, you know, everything's Roman numeraled. It's indented into A, one, two, three, B, one, two, three. I mean, that's just how I do life. All of my life, my to-do lists are outlined. Everything's outlined. Now, my wife's not anything like that. She's just, she's off and running. That's why we have each other, because every now and then I'll look at Trace and I'll say, hey, Hey, you know, let's get, let's get a little outlined in this situation. And she'll go, yeah, you're probably right. And every now and then she'll look at me and go, you need to leave me a little bit more spontaneous here. And I'll go, yeah, you're right. I probably do. I probably do. But, but, but all of us here have an idea. You have an idea about your life. You've got a plan, hopefully. I think plans are good. But, but you've got this idea. And my, my question is, is there any room in your psyche for a little paradox? Is there any room in your walk with God for him to do something out of the boundaries, out of the norm, out of the obvious, anything? How do you prepare yourself for that? I'm just gonna, got a couple quick things. We'll do this real fast. Number one, I believe you've got to start being open to prophetic leading. Now, if you'll flip over to Judges chapter 7, uh, there are numerous things that 
Gideon has to go through in order to bring him to this chapter where he's about ready to go into battle. And as he's going into battle, uh, there is something that has happened in the background that uh, people can teach on, and it can stand by by itself. It's called his fleece moment. He got this piece of fleece, and um, he went before the Lord, and he wanted some confirmation about what God was leading him in. And so he goes through this thing uh, that one day he wants, as he leaves it out overnight, he wants God to cause the fleece to be wet but the ground dry. And then the next night he wants the reverse to happen. He wants the fleece to be dry and the ground wet. And I always kind of chuckled whenever I read that because I started scratching my head saying to myself, you've got an angel visiting with you, giving you information, and now you still want a confirmation. That one just always was strange to me. I mean, dude, the angel of the Lord was before you and you're still wanting confirmation. Well, what that tells me at least is this is this much is that is that Gideon struggled with the leading of the Lord. Gideon struggled with prophetic leading. Now, I know that there are some people that they'll get they'll get any sort of whim and they'll run off the cliff. I I understand that. I understand that there are people that they're always being led here, there. They have lead poisoning. I mean, they're just led everywhere. And, and, that, and that drives me crazy, too, because they're being led. I, had, I told this story years ago. I had a lady in my church, and she got up and testified about how one morning she just got up. And, and she just, she, this is her story. She barely got her bathrobe on before the Lord grabbed her by the nap of the neck, threw her out the door in her bathrobe, made her drive to some place to do this and that and the other. And, and, and I understand, could God do that? Yes. But my personal opinion was, in this case, he probably wouldn't have let her out of the house without her makeup on. That was just my, that's just, that was just, my, no, I'm just, just getting your attention here. Can God do that? Yes, he can do that. But it was like it was happening every week. It was like he was throwing her here. He was throwing her there. And, 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 and she was just, she was so led that she never got anything done. She wasn't focused. She was led, but she maybe wasn't focused. And so I understand there's always that end of the pendulum. But then there's those of us here that it takes a divine two by four to hit us up the side of the head to say, for God to say, it's me. This is me. He sent Gideon, the angel of the Lord and Gideon still needing this fleece. The fleece, listen, and I'll just teach this too. The fleece isn't something I believe, probably as believers, we should use because God was really acquiescing to him. This wasn't, I don't think the fleece was sort of like this established method of communication. I think, I think the fleece, fleece was simply God acquiescing to Gideon's moment of needing assurance. And sometimes God will do that. He'll acquiesce to us because we're needing assurance and, and he's willing to work with us here. But here's the deal. God doesn't, God, God really would like us to just get a clue. And for us to be led by the Spirit. And, and, and so the, my question is this. Can you hear God's voice when you're surrounded by adverse circumstances? Because that's when it counts. When you're facing things in your own life or in the life of a church... Prophetic things I have found normally are paradoxical things. There are things that just don't make sense. Naaman was a Syrian commander who had leprosy. He went to a prophet in order to get healed. And the prophet said, go dip seven times in the Jordan. And the first thing out of Naaman's mouth was this. 
I'm wanting to get cleansed of leprosy and you're sending me to the dirtiest river in the country. It makes more sense to me if I were to go to the Syrian Parfar River and be cleansed there because that's a clean river. That makes sense. But you're sending me to a muddy river to get cleansed, not just to step in it once, but to dip in it seven times? You want to be healed? Paradox. You want a victory? Paradox. There are moments God may ask you to do something out of the norm, out of the boundary, and and you just got to be open to it and, and go with it. Number two. How do you prepare yourself for these paradoxical moments? You've got to realize that you're not as smart as you think. You're not as smart as you think. In fact, it says here, uh, when the Lord spoke to Gideon in chapter 7, verse 2, it says, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My hand has saved me. See, the Lord was a little concerned at this point that if, if, he didn't, if he didn't construct this victory in just the right way, that what Israel would do, and realize they had a track record with this, that they would think it was them and not him. And, and, and so God constructed a way here in order that everyone would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was no glory that was going to come to Israel but that if anybody got the praise, it was going to be the Lord himself. And this whole business of wanting glory for oneself. And can I just share with you what glory for oneself is? It's when you begin to not just uh, enjoy, but desire the accolades of men. It's not when you just are helped because we all need affirmation every now and then. Isn't that true? I mean, all of us like to hear an attaboy every once in a while. So everybody likes that. I'm not talking about just getting an attaboy on occasion. But when you start needing and wanting and desiring and constructing things simply for your affirmation, you're going down a troublesome path. And that stuff is really deep in most of us. And the important thing that you need to know is, is that God knows that. And it's not that he doesn't want you to be affirmed. It's not that he doesn't want you to be encouraged. But he does want you to know that it's not you, that it's him. And I'm learning two great things as I get older. You know, it really is true. My dad was right on numerous issues. And he was right on this one. When you get older, you do get smarter. At least, well, I should say most people. As they get older, they get smarter. And that number one is this. I'm not nearly as smart as I thought I was. I remember when I was in my early 30s, I really thought I was smart. I did. I mean, I hate to admit even that, that 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 kind of ran through my veins. But, uh, you know, I've been to a lot of school, heard a lot of things, thought I'd done a lot. You know what? I I, I was I was dumb as a brick when I think back to that. It just embarrasses me now when I think back to it. Some of the things that I'm glad I didn't say everything that popped into my mind. I said a lot of it, but I'm glad some of it I kept. So I'm not totally, thoroughly, completely embarrassed. You're not as smart as you think. Secondly, I've learned this. People are not nearly as smart as they think they are. No matter what they think. Let me tell you something, man. I, I'm, just, I'm just, God is producing a scenario in America that, that, that if we allow him, he will bring about a paradoxical happening that none of us would have counted on, that, that this nation will have to point to and say, it's God. 
Because if we just simply, whether it's an election or whether it's a plan or whatever it may be, if it's, if it's just generated out of the halls of Congress or Washington or the White House or out of the halls of Harvard or Yale or wherever, you know what we'll all do? We'll all look at each other, pat ourselves on the back, pat ourselves on the back, and we'll one more time say, you know, us Americans, we have that can-do spirit. You know what? Us Americans ain't doing much at the moment, and it's time we recognized it repented for it and cried out to God and said, God, what's your strategy in this thing? And if we get God's strategy in this thing, he'd provide a paradox that would lead us out into prosperity again. I believe that with all of my heart. So I'm not looking for the smartest candidates anymore. I'm asking God, who are you going to put your hand on whether I think they're all that or not? I think we'd be smarter if we did that in the Lord. Number three. There are going to be tests along the way. You know how you get ready for paradox is realizing that God will give you tests along the way. This fourth verse, chapter 7, says the Lord said to Gideon, now you've got to remember, 32,000 people show up to help Gideon. Isn't that cool? Gideon's going to go fight the Midianites and 32,000 people show up. As a pastor, can I just tell you, that would encourage me. 32,000 people show up and we're going to help you, Gideon, There's a battle here. We're going to help you. But the Lord begins to take Gideon through this process. And what happens is it begins to weed out or it begins to prune this large crowd that had come to help Gideon. Now, this is a really great passage for me. Because what it speaks to me here is, is that God is involved in pruning. Sometimes what looks to be a setback can actually be a set up for victory. Sometimes you don't need as much as you think you need in order to win the battle. I mean, I deal in this time period of my life, I'm dealing with pastors all over this nation. And their stories and my story has been one with setbacks in it. In fact, let me just ask you, I know all of you aren't pastors or anything, but is there anyone here uh, that has experienced, I'll put it in the positive. Have you experienced a setback? Anyone here that has experienced a setback that you would say, yep, I've experienced a setback. Yeah, well, that's about 100%. Come on, all of us. All of us have had setbacks. But they're foundational in what God uses to bring victory. Do you realize that if you lose your job, if you've been laid off, Maybe, maybe uh, you know, you're in a sales business and you lose the sale. Maybe you've lost a friend. You don't get the raise. There's no promotion. Do you understand that that pruning in your life could be the very foundation that God uses in order to bring you to a place of victory? Listen, I know people who have lost their job and they thought it was the end of the world. And yet God used it to bring something better into their life. They would have never quit that job. They would have never walked away from that job. They would have never heard the voice of the Lord. They wouldn't have done, they'd they'd have lived in that thing till they were 90 years old. God had to get them fired in order to bring them to the place where they could be victorious. I've seen that more times than I can count. Now, it doesn't feel good, does it, to get pruned? At the time, Now remember, we're working in the natural going, I don't get this, Lord. I'm going to fight this Midianite. I need 32,000 people. That makes sense. God says it's not paradoxical. 
I'm on Facebook. You know, recently, this, this, an interesting thing happened to me on Facebook recently. For whatever reason, I started noticing my friend number. And here lately, my friend number has been going down. Do you know how attached you can get to that friend number? No, I'm not joking with you. I mean, and I've got enough friends now that there's no way I could figure out which one's left. I mean, I, I, I can't even figure that out. But, but I started watching that number go down. And I started remembering what that number was the day before. And then it's down lower than it was yesterday. And it's amazing how that affects you. I know some of you are saying, that's silly. Well, I, you know, maybe it is. Now you're going to start watching your Facebook friend number. And we'll see how silly it is. When you're wondering, well, who is it? Well, for all I know, it's some guy over in India that I don't know anyway. But it doesn't matter because when, God, when something's getting trimmed or when something's getting pruned, there's something inside of us that's going, oh, I don't know that I like that. But you've got to understand, God's going to prune us. He's going to prune off friends in your life. He's going to prune off stuff in your life. He's going to look at you and say, that can't go with you. And you're going to have to get a hold of a little paradox in your life. It's exactly what Gideon had to do. Gideon was better with 300 than he was with 32,000. And we got to understand that there are moments God isn't looking for the greatest number. He's looking for his number in order to take you forward. There are going to be some tests along the way, man, in order to produce paradox. Think about that. God may, God may cause you to be humbled. And you say, why are you humbling me, Lord? It's because he's setting you up for exaltation. There are going to be moments when God's going to ask you to serve. And you say, Lord, I don't understand why I'm serving. It's because God's setting you up for greatness. There's going to be moments when God causes you to be last. And you're going to say, I don't understand why I'm always last. It's because he's saying there's a moment I'm going to cause you to be first. If you don't get a hold of this, you will miss God's ways. In your life till finally number four. This is my favorite one. You just got to make room for a little weird in your life. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not wanting to be one that just promotes it. But trimming the troops from thirty-two thousand to three hundred is not exactly rational battle strategy. I always find this fascinating. I've. I've I've been pastoring since I was 24. That means I've been doing this for 28 years. And I've, I just kind of noticed that whenever I go to a conference, in particular a church growth conference, they never preach on Gideon. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I've heard hundreds and hundreds of sermons, but I've never heard Gideon at a church growth conference. You know why? It's because that doesn't fit into our paradigm. That doesn't fit into our thinking. See, it, you see, you see, Gideon's story eclipses the unusual, and we, and we start to move into the weird. Hardest thing for me to do is to advocate for weird. I don't like weird. I don't want to be thought of as weird. I don't want my church to be labeled weird. I mean, I mean, don't, I mean, we all like to be accepted, right? We all want to. We all want to be affirmed. We all want to be accepted. But truth of the matter is, if you're going to follow God and you're going to move in the kingdom, sometimes weird shows up. And to win battles, weird stuff is what God specializes in. 
Let me ask you, would you have shouted at Jericho? Would you have stood before millions in Israel like Moses did and had to speak to the rock for water? Would you, like Joshua, in the midst of all the tribes, shouted at the sun and said, Sun, stand still? Would you have laid on a dead boy like Elisha did to bring him back to life? Would you have gone to the widow's house when she had nothing left except a little flour and a little oil and said, give it to me? Just just how weird are you willing to go? There's some pretty weird things that show up. And, and let me tell you, you don't have to try to be weird in the kingdom. Sometimes God just says, this is, this is what needs to be done. And so you've got to give a little room. Now, I understand, don't go out of here and, and just all of a sudden just think I'm going to be weird for weird's sake. You know, we're not, do, we're not trying to alienate people. The gospel alienates enough people without us trying to do it. But at the same time, realizing that if I walk with the Lord and I function in his kingdom, that alienation is going to be a part of it because there's going to be some weird aspects to my walk. That's just the way it is. And I'm telling you what God has called us to do as a people, and I believe legacy has a portion of this as its inheritance, is that God's going to ask us to, to walk and embrace some paradox in our life. Because out of that paradox will come miracles. It'll become God moments. We'll see His power. Things that are unexplainable. It won't be any glory that you can point at me or I can point at you or we can look at each other and say, how about us here? It will be the Lord. It will be the Lord that does these things. All through history, he's used paradox. I want, I want the musicians to come right now. Just, just come this way. I'm going to just share a couple things with you guys. Come on up here and get ready. Because we're going to sing Unstoppable here for just a minute. In just a minute. But, but let me just share this with you. Many people don't understand that the reformation that took place with Martin Luther took place in a man that had chronic illnesses and sicknesses. Do you know that he wrote, this is true, he wrote most of his writings, he translated the whole Bible because he had such stomach issues, he spent most of his time in the bathroom. And so a man who's sitting in the bathroom, and excuse me, that's just historical fact, sitting in a bathroom, was the man that changed the face of Christianity in 1517. I mean, I could, I could tell you the paradoxes of people's lives. Many people don't know that the great Pentecostal movement, the holiness movement, which started at Azusa Street, was started by, by the way, I'll just, I'll just throw this in, it was a Nazarene pastor by the name of William Seymour. A black Nazarene pastor. N many people don't know this. He was blind in one eye. But there at Azusa Street, he began to preach and he began to teach. He was never healed from his eye affliction. I don't know why, because he believed God healed. But truth of the matter is, the paradox of the early 1900s of a black man, and we understand the, the racial history of our country and how all of that would have been summed up in those days. A black man, one eye, preaching at some rescue mission there in Los Angeles on Azusa Street is who God uses in order to birth one of the greatest movements that has ever taken place in modern history. That is what you call paradox. Paradox.
paradox. That's why I've oftentimes looked at you and said, hey, sometimes when you're worshiping God in a mall, you're in the center of God's universe. Who'd have thunk that out of a mall could come a movement? God would. It's paradox. It's paradox. Stand with me, will you?